0: Sometimes <clears throat> I find it really hard to speak into the silence. <laughs> I need to. <sighs> so maybe <clears throat> I'll let the, um, these sticks that are next to me do the talking for a little while at least. So if you notice them, before I just pointed them out, you may be wondering, or you might think, you know, it's a wonderful new decoration in the middle of the the hall. So I want to start actually with asking you a question, which is, when you look at these three sticks, what do you see? It's not a trick question. (laughs) A teepee. Mm. Nice support, support. Mm-hmm. Mm. balance. balance. Mm. Anything else? Three sticks. Three sticks, yeah. It's good. Piece of art, yeah. Rescued from the firewood pile, <laughs> and destined to go back. So we can see a lot of things um, just by putting three sticks together and looking at them. Yeah, we can see a lot of a lot of things. And one thing that we can see is the fact that these sticks are somewhat upright. Yeah. They're somewhat upright. And they're upright because they're leaning on each other. Someone said support and someone else said balance. Yeah, They're upright because they're leaning on each other. If we just tried to get one of them upright... It wouldn't work, yeah? Unless we could stick it in something, but just it, it wouldn't work. And I'm pretty sure it wouldn't work with two either, but that's less important. So they're leaning on each other, or we could say they're, they're standing, they're upright, um, out of interdependence, yeah? They're mutually supporting. Mutually balancing each other. You know, it's not that one is balancing the other two. Yeah. Mutually supporting each other. So how does that relate to to our experience? And this isn't my invention, by the way. I have to, sometimes people come and tell me afterwards, oh the someone last time I did this someone said, Yeah, oh, your wonderful sticks, and said, they're not mine. <laughs> And I didn't come up with this. I just need to say this. Actually, um, I think rooted in a in a in a in a sutra where the Buddha gives an image of of heaps of straw. Actually, where we can see it here. No, um, not at this time of year, but after um, after the the um, um, crops are harvested, then you know you sometimes see you know. Um, piles of straw leaning against each other yeah so the Buddha gives this as an image of um, of life really of life really so this very much relates to our experience and it relates to um, to actually to everything in the world. We can say, um, a way of saying it is that everything, everything, internal experience, external experience, everything leans. Yeah? So just like these three sticks are leaning on each other. Everything leans. And everything is being lent on. <laughs> yeah? It's both ways. Yeah? Everything leans on other things and is providing support. So nothing, nothing is freestanding. Yeah? Nothing stands independently. Nothing is independent of causes and conditions of other beings, other factors. So when we look at the sticks, you know we can see the three sticks, and we can also see. That each of the sticks, as well as leaning on the other sticks, is actually leaning or supported or balanced by countless other conditions. So there's like groupings and groupings and groupings supporting each other. It's made up, each of these sticks is made up of countless other phenomena and conditions. You know, you just say that some of them, you know, the sun. Rain, the earth. More immediately, you know, me bringing them in here. (laughs) And you looking and perceiving. Yeah. Even that. Dependent on that. Dependent on that. So the whole world leans. Yeah, the whole world leans. In Dharma teachings, um, this is referred to as emptiness. I think we've been we've been talking about emptiness a lot on this retreat, but I don't know how if we've mentioned the word or how often. Not very much, if at all. It's referred to as emptiness, and it's beautiful, beautiful teaching. That everything, yeah, the material the mental, everything is empty. Everything is empty. And a really important question here is empty of what? (laughs) Yeah. Really, really important question. Empty of what? So empty of this quality to, to stand on its own. Yeah. Or the language that's usually used is empty of inherent existence. Empty of inherent existence. And inherent isn't such an easy word. So I've got a dictionary definition. (laughs) Yeah, It's not such an easy word, even if English is your first language. So the definition of inherent is existing in something as a permanent, essential, or characteristic attribute. So existing in something as a permanent, essential, or characteristic attribute. So another way of saying that, things are empty of being separate, empty of being independent. And this links um, to the to the um, chain of dependent origination that I touched on two days ago. It was up on the notice board, I think, yesterday. Yeah, just to say, just links to that. Yeah, that that chain of how things come together. Yeah, how things come together. And if you read, um, if you read what was on the notice board, and I'll, I'll just kind of highlight that because I I didn't say it in the talk. It's, it's not a, or maybe I did and I just don't remember. It's not, it's described as a chain. It's described as kind of a linear. This leads to that, this leads to that, this leads to that. But that's a simplification. And actually, um, there's lots of sub-loops. Yeah. And, you, you know, every link is actually linked to the other ones. So It's a much more complex process. But the important thing about it is that coming together, Yes, yeah, so anything, anything that we experience, anything that we know, anything that exists is a coming together, is empty of kind of standing independent of other things, always a coming together and also a cause, yeah, and also an impact is really like equally important to remember. Yeah, Anything that comes together is part of a flow, part of a process, part of an unfolding, always coming together. So another way of talking about emptiness. Maybe one important thing here before I I speak about the next thing is that um, sometimes when we speak about emptiness, because we're using the word emptiness, which is a noun, then it can very easily get confusing as if we're speaking about some state. Yeah, it's not a state, it's a process. Yeah, so coming together, it's more a verb than a noun. Another way of speaking about it, and um, the Vietnamese teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, he often speaks about it in this way. He speaks about um, that all things, that being empty means that all things are full. Yeah. All things are full. And again, like just like with the empty, we can ask full of what? Yeah. Full of other things. (laughs) So anything anything that exists, anything that comes together is full of non-inherent things Of non-permanent, yeah, non-essential, non-essence, yeah, just full of other things. And you know, we can really, we can really see it, just like we did with the sticks. You know, when we think about our own body, yeah, my body. <laughs> this, my, I love this. My body, you know, so so much a source of identification for us all the time, you know. But there's other beings that inhabit this body, (laughs) not just me. You know, loads of them, actually, on the skin, in the digestive system, and many of them this body couldn't survive, actually, without yeah. Couldn't survive without the bacteria in our digestive system, which breaks down the food. Yeah, but it's my body, and you know, it's so just like you know. And what else is the body made of? You know, the food we eat, the water we drink. You know, all of that. It's not. It's not just that thing. The body, mind. But it's a coming together, a coming together, and the same we can look at our a mental life. you know, a a thought comes or um, you know, a kind of a process of thinking comes, a whole chain reaction of thoughts comes. and we we again, we see it as if it's itself, it's this. And yet that too, is a coming together. yeah, it's affected by. What's going on in the body? Nathan and I, I don't know if you remember this, but we used to have this joke about the burger meal at Dharmalaya, which we had tonight. (laughs) Kind of, it feels like it was fairly light today, but it was like it knocks people out. (laughs) You know, this joke about who's going to give the talk after the burger meal. (laughs) You guys seem pretty alert. Ah, oh, it was the chocolate, yeah. It's a good combo. <laughs> yeah, no, they made the burgers small. I think it's really effective. Anyway, so the thought, the listening, yeah? This talk, you know, if we just go back to the talk, you know, just about the talk, you know, okay, so here are the notes. It's written, it's a thing. What makes up a talk? You know, you're listening. Your tiredness, your alertness, what you had to eat, <laughs> my tiredness, what I had to eat. You know, if I gave the same talk tomorrow, it wouldn't be the same. If there was one person less, or one other person more here, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, you know, so things come together. So even something like a thought, a talk, you know, it's, we we give it the thingness, but actually, are coming together impacted by so many things. You know, mind states. Sometimes we're thinking it's even the previous thought has an effect on this one, but we don't usually take that into account. Just the previous thought, the habit patterns. So what does this mean to us, for us? What does it mean for us as human beings? And not just human beings, but human beings who are, you know, interested, interested in the human experience. What does that mean for us? And again, sometimes, you know, this word um, emptiness, it can seem quite grim. Sometimes spoken of as voidness, I think that's even worse. It can feel, like I said, for me it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful, but it can feel, yeah, empty, lifeless, colorless. <coughs> but what it actually means is possibility. What it actually means is possibility. It actually means um, a real sense of abundance and aliveness and mystery and real possibility. If everything leans, yeah? if everything in life is dynamic, is coming together and flowing, you know, including things like our perception, if it's all dependent on something. And we've been looking on this retreat particularly on the, how the, the ways of looking and the states of mind, how they affect experience if all of that is happening, if there's a constant coming together, we can cultivate ways of looking that really lead or incline towards wholesome, the wholesome and towards freedom. So everything is a condition, including our state of mind. Including our choices. Yeah. Including our choices. So our choices are also a condition in the unfolding of life. And sometimes, you know, they can seem very small, very trivial in the moment. You know, I come into the hall, do I lie down or do I sit? You know? Do I go walking or do I go sitting? You know, like they can seem... Very small. And often we don't know where they're going to lead. But potentially, you know, even a very small moment of choice. Over time, yeah, we're here. And at this point I just choose whether to go, you know, a little bit this way or a little bit that way. Seems very, very, very minimal, right? Do it like that. <laughs> yeah. But then over time, if I follow that trajectory, where does it go? It'll be very, very significant. It'll be very, very significant. And again, with all of this, to really notice the how we can take it, you know. We can kind of get really like every choice I make matters. You know, really tight around it. But that's where, you know, the playfulness that we've really been encouraging comes in, the exploration and the learning. You know, we learn, we, we kind of see where things lead, where things lead over time. So I want to just give a little example of this, kind of how a little choice, a little moment can have an impact. Um, from a friend of ours who um, who was with us on... Um, on this uh, retreat we we do every couple of years um, which is a a trekking retreat in the Himalayas and this was on one day when um, you know, on this trekking retreat you get up in the morning and you pack up and you go walking and you haven't really got a choice (laughs) the next camp is, you know, X hours away so, you know, she she was feeling quite low that day. And she was noticing as she was walking, um, just really noticing that she had no energy and she was feeling um, very low in the body and the mind. And, you know, of course, then thoughts start of like, how am I going to make it? You know, how am I going to manage to get to the next camp? You know, I can barely, you know, I feel like I haven't got the... Enthusiasm to kind of even go another five minutes, um, and this is going to be a really hard day, <laughs> a really terrible day. You know, all of that kind of unfolds. And then we had um, we had a, a little break, a ten minute break. And she sat down during this break, and she remembered something that one of us had said in in, in the talk. I don't know if it was the previous day or a few days before and what she remembered was about changing the way of looking just like we've been practicing here and what came up for her was just what if i just let go into the earth right now she was sitting on the earth in this beautiful forest what if i just let go into the earth right now you know let go of the struggle let go of the resistance let go of the tiredness What if I just let go into the earth and become the earth? And in that moment, you know, there was that intention, there was that curiosity, and it just fell into place. Yeah, it fell into place. She felt this surrender into the earth. And for the rest of the day, she told us later, for the rest of the day whole day, well, it's not a whole day that we were walking, but the rest of the time that we were walking, every step was a surrender, a letting go into the earth. And the physical tiredness was still there, just wasn't a problem, just wasn't a problem, because it was one step at a time, letting go into the earth and her description was of just really being so open to the loveliness around her so open to the beauty of nature so nourished yeah. so just you know just a moment of sitting down of checking in of feeling what's there of remembering something wise and being able to apply it, and then the whole day shifts, and of course, more than just that day because then there's that experiential confidence of this is possible, even if I can't always access it, you know, because there's lots of conditions, not just me. <laughs> so, even if I can't always access it, I know that it's possible. And what does that do in the being? So this practice, the practice that we're doing here, it works on many levels. Yeah, and I just want to pull some of them out because often, you know, as we're practicing, as we're doing, going through the process of the sitting, the walking, the retreat, we can lose touch with kind of the bigger picture. What's actually happening, or what we're actually what's what's what we're actually uncovering or nourishing in the process. So the practice works on many levels. On one level, it increases um, calmness in the mind, as we've said from the beginning, so that we can see more clearly. And often on retreat, this what I just said sounds like such a joke. Because what we're actually feeling, like we experience, is not calmness at all. (laughs) There can be like major storms or confusion or whatever, you know. But the calmness is increasing. Calmness is increasing, and sometimes we can't see it. You know, we're actually seeing something more clearly, and it's taking up the space. Yeah, and it's slowly, slowly increasing. And the clear seeing also. The second thing that is happening is that we're developing um, pliability and flexibility of mind. Yeah, I'm not sure if we mentioned this yet. So we're really, as we're practicing, as we're kind of both calming, seeing more clearly, and engaging in different ways of looking, in different ways of relating to experience. The pliability and flexibility of the mind grows so that we're not limited to the habits that we've been that have kind of been making their grooves through our lifetime. We're not limited to the habitual patterns. Yeah, there's less rigidity and there's more again, more possibility, more richness available. And this practice also um, supports us in cultivating attitudes and ways of looking that bring more well-being and happiness in the short term, and a lot more freedom in the long term. So, in the short term, more well-being, more more happiness, even if it's just a very mild sense of relief or ease, yeah, or movement. Sometimes there's just more movement in areas where it's felt like there isn't any. And in the long term, that can bring a lot more freedom. Just like that story that I told about my friend walking in the forest. So I want to say a little bit more about this cultivation of attitudes and ways of looking that um, bring more well-being, more happiness and more freedom. It's such a key aspect of our practice. And, you know, we've mentioned quite a lot of them. And probably, I I probably don't remember, but I've probably actually even spoken about it in the same way that I'm speaking about it now. Hopefully you don't remember either. (laughs) Just joking. Hopefully you do remember. But ways of looking like, you know, patience, generosity, gratitude, metta, equanimity, compassion, devotion, wisdom, clear seeing, determination. All of these are ways of looking. All ways of looking. Courage, honesty. All ways of looking that we're cultivating. And they all lead to increased well-being for ourselves and others. So as the retreat unfolds, yeah, and as we're getting, you know, we're in the last part of it, we can bring um, more inten- in- intentionality and interest also to this, this current of cultivation that's happening, as we practice, we can both intentionally bring to the fore a particular attitudes, particular qualities, particular ways of looking. And we can also explore how they affect our experience, how they affect our experience. So the happiness and well-being that's generated by these kind of ways of looking is not dependent on external conditions. This is really, really important. It's not dependent on external conditions. It's not dependent on getting what we want. Yeah. Or keeping away what we don't want. So I'd like to say a little bit more about how we do this as a practice. So the first way of of doing this as a practice is kind of what I just said is Bringing intentionality and bringing to mind this process of cultivation. And I was saying this to someone over the days um, this word cultivation is, is wonderful, it comes from agriculture. yeah. So it's really about preparing the soil, putting in the seeds, creating the best conditions for things to grow. But then it's not just up to us if they do or not, you know, because they also depend and other conditions, just like seeds do. You know, we can't control the rain and the sun. As I say, we can't control all the conditions, but we can do our best to to nourish and support. And um, the word in Pali is bhavana, um, and it literally means cultivation, also means bring into being, to bring something into being, like giving birth to something. It's a really beautiful word. So I want to look at a few specific um, of these wholesome ways of looking, just so that we can get a bit more of a flavour of how to practice with them, with 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 the specific. So the first one um, I want to look into is is generosity, uh, which is such a key aspect of the practice, and. One, one way of practicing with generosity is actually um, the Buddha used this a lot. When we feel unsettled, yeah, or there can be tension or contraction in the mind or restlessness, any kind of difficult state in the mind, the Buddha used to recommend reflecting on your own generosity as a way of calming the mind. So we can bring to mind times when we have been generous and that supports a sense of well-being and that well-being and happiness supports the calming of the mind and the body. That's one way that we can use generosity as a practice. Other ways. So as you do your karma yoga jobs here twice a day this is a really um, special retreat, we have two jobs a day. and most retreats, you only get one. And that's a real opportunity. As you do that, and it's been really obvious watching people do their jobs, um, can really feel that sense of generosity as we're doing this. You know, doing it as a, as an offering. I've been a few times. I've I've been um, I've gone to the to the loo's right after they've been cleaned. And I feel like always there's something really special in there. It's like you can feel the. it's not just the, the essential oils or whatever the cleaning product is. It's there's something in that kindness and generosity and the intention of, of whoever's cleaned it. You, know, you can really feel it. So really connecting to that as we do our jobs. Yeah, and yeah It's a real oh, that sense of offering, of doing something with that care. As we sit down to practice or do our walking practice, you know connecting to that also being an offering, it's an act of generosity, it's a gift. We're giving to ourselves, we're giving to others, sharing the space with us, and we're also giving to the world. It's a real offering where people come together and do this. Yeah, it's a real offering, and really connecting to that sense of offering a gift practice of generosity is also opening to receiving. Yeah, We're also opening to receiving. We're also recipients of generosity. Yeah, from each other. It's all the jobs we do from the Dharmalaya team. <laughs> yeah. Someone left a beautiful note thanking the the kitchen team today for, for the love and the food and all the care. Yeah, so we're recipients of all of that so opening also to that which we receive little moments when we do something for someone else on the retreat you know so many little moments like holding the door open for someone or um, exchanging a smile you know, or you know holding the pot lid or whatever there's all these little moments and we do these things and They're almost kind of a reflex, but they're actually acts of generosity and kindness. And if we can connect to that quality in them as we're doing them, or when we reflect back, what does that do to the being? And often, you know, for example, when you exchange a smile or you open the door, especially on retreats, we can notice it. There's a real sense of actually who's generous to whom. You know what I mean? Kind of the giver and receiver thing just kind of dissolves. And there's just that meeting. There's just that shared contact and connection. So it can be a really, it's a really profound practice, generosity. It's a really profound practice. And it's not always easy. Yeah, often we come up against um, maybe the places where we feel closed or not generous or where we're stuck. So really remembering in those places, those times, both, you know, that we're a work in progress. So, yeah, we we don't need to have it down completely. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's things coming together. And there's places where we're blocked. Remembering that intention—an intention of generosity. A friend of mine I often quote her on this. Um, who who suffers from depression? She she told me um, she told me once that she realized that generosity was one of the best antidotes to depression. Um, That if she could catch herself when she was starting to spiral down into depression, she could catch that, see that, and then do something for someone else. Usually, for her, this is not true for everyone all of the time, but for her, it would just kind of pick her up out of that spiral, get her out of that loop. And what a you know what what a deep insight yeah of what this what this practice can do to us what this attitude can do to us and I want to share a little story from our um experience um this happened to Nathan and me in the summer we were uh we were in Paris for a couple of days and uh we were doing kind of the sightseeing thing, you know, going around, seeing the sights. And um, we, we stopped to have lunch in a, in a park where you could see the Eiffel Tower. And uh, so, you know, we'd gone to, to a supermarket and bought some food and came back to the park and found a spot in the shade to, to have our lunch. And it was really, it was very busy. I think it was the weekend. There were lots of people in the park having picnics. A beautiful day and even before we sat down I noticed that amongst all these picnickers there was a group that was quite different um the four men lying in the grass um, fast asleep and I could you know immediately tell from the kind of what they were wearing how they looked and most of all from the exhaustion that just kind of was, was palpable, even quite a distance away, that they must be refugees. And we sat down, so Nathan had his back to them, and I could see them, and they were, they were sleeping the whole time. Um, and the whole time we were having our lunch, all I wanted to do was to take some of our food over to them. And I was sitting there eating, and kind of, this kept coming up, and then I would think, ah, but if I... You know, they're asleep. If I walk over, you know, it'll disturb them. They'll wake up. They might be really scared, you know. I don't know what's happening. Going around, stories going around in my mind. And eventually I I said to Nathan, you know, there's this group of refugees behind you, and I I really want to take some of the food over, but I'm concerned how to do it. I don't know how to do it. And Nathan just just gathered the food, and he got (laughs) up. And he walked over and, um, and he bent down and one of the guys sat up and he gave him the food. And he thanked him and he walked away. And as we were walking away, it was so simple, yeah, so simple. As we were walking away, we kind of, you know, we didn't want to too overtly kind of be staring at them, but we kind of peeked back once in a while and we could see the, the man who, um, who had woken up when Nathan came over. He was waking the others up and sharing out the food with them. And I honestly cannot say who was more grateful <laughs> in that moment, you know, if it was me or us or them, you know, it was, yeah. Such a powerful movement in our lives. And we underestimate it and forget it so much. And we get limited by the stories our minds tell us, like like I was, you know, like, I, I can feel, I want to do it, and then all these Things of like what if, what if, what if? And then so simple. (laughs) That sense of like Yeah, in that, you know, who is who is actually more grateful? Who is the giver? Who is the receiver? Who is the beneficiary? So back to these. (laughs) Yeah. It's all it's all connected. It's all connected, it's empty of the separation. So this, these practices of cultivation, they, they flow from the cushion into our lives and back. Yeah? They, that's part of what's so beautiful about them. Yeah? We cultivate them on the cushion And they come with us into life and we cultivate them in our lives, in our daily lives. Not that this isn't your life. In our daily lives. And they flow back into the practice. It's a constant, constant flow. Another cultivation practice very closely linked to generosity and also to appreciation, and also to joy, is gratitude. Yeah, very, very close, closely related, as the story I've just told kind of really illustrates. And there's been a lot of modern research, psychological research, particularly about gratitude, um, really linked to well being and happiness. And if we reflect on our own experiences of of feeling grateful, of of receiving, and that acknowledgement, that gratitude that arises, it really opens the heart. Yeah, really opens the heart. And kind of really supports us in resting back into this web of the sticks. (laughs) Into this web of the coming together of life, the causes and conditions of life. And our non separateness. And it also really builds resilience. Yeah. It's it really strengthens. It's it's a quality of, of strength that has a lot of power in it. So Nathan gave me permission to tell a lot of stories today, so here's another one. <laughs> another story. So this is, I can't remember how many years ago, many years ago, this story. Um, and we were, um, we were waiting for a train, and a train station, I think we were in Nagpur. And I was wearing Crocs. I think everyone knows what Crocs are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're quite loose on your feet. So I was wearing a pair of crocs, and it was very—it uh, was—it was quite crowded when the train came. It was quite crowded getting onto the train, so there was quite a rush. And as I was getting onto the train, you know, I was kind of on the one foot was on the on the carriage already, and the other was dangling in the air. The Crocs slid from my foot and fell down into the gap between the train and the platform. Yeah, down. And I just, you know, carried on getting on the train and thought, Okay, you know, there goes the croc. I've got another pair of sandals or flip flops or shoes or something. I had another pair of footwear in my bag, you know, I'll be fine and you know it's gone. But the people on the platform um didn't want to let go of the croc <laughs> so quickly. And there was Kind of this whole group creativity effort going on to get it back from that gap. Um, I'm trying to remember what it included. Um, it certainly included lowering a small child. <laughs> <in the gap. laughs> and try and get it out, which terrified Nathan and me. Didn't work. Various other things, and eventually. Um, they they got a, a long stick from uh, from one of the beggars on the platform, and managed to fish. They the actually managed to fish that crock out, and give it to me. So there we were sitting on the train, you know, reunited with the crock, um, and we were both kind of feeling this real, you know, gratitude and just kind of like, wow. All that, you know, goodwill that had been there and the creativity and that kind of just, you know, all within just a few minutes. And the ticket collector came and Nathan reached for the wallet (laughs) to get the ticket out, I think. And then we realized that during, somewhere during that whole thing, um, he'd gotten pickpocketed. So... Somewhere during that whole drama, that whole thing, the wallet had, had gone. And... Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> and the amazing thing was that we just, it, we just couldn't care. Yeah, We were so full of gratitude... Yeah, and that experience of that goodwill and that creativity that the fact that the wallet with um, the train ticket and a few hundred rupees or whatever was in it was gone just didn't, it just did not stick. Did not stick. Yeah. And I, I still remember that, you know, such a strong memory, so vivid of that experience, like what that teaches us about what matters and it's not even a choice in the moment, you know, it wasn't even a choice I want to care or I don't want to care it's just like that goodwill and the gratitude for it, just so much more precious and so that kind of resilience, yeah you know, bad things, unpleasant things can happen. But it doesn't affect the well being. Yeah, when there's gratitude in the heart. So we can practice gratitude here on retreat. Yeah, something we can we can bring in. And I think some people no, some people are already doing that. And we can do that. You know, opening to appreciation and gratitude towards ourselves for, you know, our commitment. And for our good intentions. And for showing up. Opening up to appreciate appreciation and gratitude towards each other. You know, when we see someone else you know, practicing, dedicated, or when we see someone else doing something that is supportive to to us. As we take food, appreciation and gratitude for the fact that we have food, and then that food is of this kind of quality and prepared and bought with this kind of care. So you can really, really take time to open to that and to see how that affects, what effect that has. So it's just a couple of examples, yeah? Just a couple of of examples of ways of looking, of attitudes, of qualities that we can really kind of feel into intentionally and bring to the fore, and notice what happens. Yeah? Notice what happens in us. So they're not ways of suppressing aspects of our experience, but they're ways of relating differently yeah? or looking through a different lens, like we've been saying, a different way of looking at the same experience. Remembering that, you know, what's happening, we're learning to look, we're learning to let go of our struggle, of some of our struggle with experience, yeah, trying to make things be a certain way. And we're connecting to basic goodness, yeah, to basic goodness in ourselves and others as a support, yeah, When we bring in generosity, when we bring in gratitude, when we bring in contentment, when we bring in metta, yeah, we're doing that. We're learning to let go of our struggle and we're connecting to basic goodness and worth as a support. I was reading a story recently, um, not a story, it's from a Dharma book, um, and a meditation teacher in America um, talking about um, a couple that she'd been supporting uh, while the husband was was dying of cancer, and she was supporting the husband and wife um, through that process. And towards the end of his life, the the wife um, was... Was really, really suffering, um, and when they were speaking about it, which the suffering was, um, this stress that she was feeling of being afraid that she wouldn't be ab- that she wouldn't be able to be there for her husband in the way she wanted to be. He was a real perfectionist. And so the struggle, the struggle with the fact that he was dying, and the struggle with the unknown. And this couple, um, they were Catholic, and so apparently, I, I didn't know this before. In the Catholic tradition, there's this um, phrase that they use, which is "I consent." And eventually, the, the the meditation teacher she suggested to the woman, she said, "Why don't you? What what if you just look at your husband's illness, look at your husband's death?" Look at the fact that you cannot be there for him all the time in the way you would like to be, and you consent. You consent, and it really shifted. You know, and this this woman, for the last um, days of her husband's life, she used that phrase internally: "I consent. I consent." Letting go of the struggle with experience, with the way things are unfolding in life. But not as a passive, not not kind of a, there's nothing I can do about it, but do you hear this, In, in this I consent, there's an active part there. Yeah, there's an active part there. So very, very key, learning to let go of our struggle with experience through these ways of looking and connecting to basic goodness and our own worth yeah. in the process. So we're cultivating, um, I think we kind of touched on it yesterday in response to Rob's question, We're cultivating wholesome habits. Part of this is we're cultivating wholesome habits. Habits that actually support well-being. So in every moment, conditions come together. Yeah, Things come together and lean on each other. And some of these things that are coming together, some of these conditions, some of these causes that are coming together are within our mind and our body and our heart. As we deepen in practice, we become more sensitive to that, we become more sensitive to what conditions are coming together and are not in our control, and what conditions are coming together and can also be attended to and shaped by our way of looking. And as we become more sensitive to this process, we can align ourselves more fully with our deepest aspirations, yeah? our deepest aspirations for our own life and for life on earth. Yeah? So we become more sensitive and that allows us to align more deeply. And this is so important to all of us. That we keep doing that. That we keep refining that sensitivity. That we keep cultivating these ways of looking. That we keep building those tools to attend to life and to align with what really matters to us. The greatest act of generosity and compassion that we can do So let's have a moment of silence together to bring this to a close. our practice together be for the benefit and the well-being of all beings everywhere including ourselves so thank you for your listening and your presence We'll have fifteen minutes before the final sitting together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSeed